Hey guys, Rob here. Just let you know, uh, Prestige Podcast and now Kaiju FM, our, our network, have their own Patreon page. We are loving making these podcasts for you, and through your support, we'd love to make more, basically. Uh, so if you like what we do, you want to support what we do, please check us out at Kaiju FM, and if you click on the support link there, take you to our Patreon page. Also, while you're there, feel free to check out any other podcasts as part of the network. Now on the podcast. Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it, and we discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as always, we'll end with our recommendations or further reading inspired by the film of the week. Before we kick off with our film of the week, we always have a little catch up on what else we've been watching. So Sam, what else have you been watching since our last record? Right, I I feel like I've had a few... Um, a few times when I've actually described a film I enjoyed, so it, it's time to revert to form and, and talk about films that are a bit meh. Um, <laughs> so I I watched I watched over Christmas. I caught up on something I meant to see in 2016, and it was Now You See Me Too. Now, I quite liked the first one. It was fun. I like things like. Sherlock Holmes and detective stories, magician stories as well. I really enjoyed Nolan's Prestige, for example, and it's stupid things like Hustle on TV. So puzzles like that, I I, I enjoy. I'm not averse to seeing something stupid as long as it it it, it entertains me on that theme. Um, now You See Me Too was something stupid, but it wasn't entertainingly stupid. It was just stupid. And I'm not quite sure why, but I don't think I should expend any mental energy on spending time thinking about why it was so bad. Uh, it certainly doesn't warrant seeing it again to see why it was so bad. Okay. The the actors. It was Danny Radcliffe was quite good. Um, I find Jesse Eisenberg entertaining and Mark Ruffalo is great, but the script was terrible and it was just a really bad story. So don't watch it. I I, I, wasn't, I wasn't intending to. It looked it didn't look great. No. So I wasn't too too bothered by uh, that myself. Mm. So I'm, I've I've actually got a good recommendation this week. Good. So we can't really ignore the political events of the world and especially the events of last week in America. And so in honour of that, and I suppose inspired by that, I have gone back to watch House of Cards. Now I won't bring any spoilers into this, but uh, those who know it, I'm picking up at season three, having watched season one and two previously. Based on a, I think it's a 70s or 80s British TV show um, of the same name, but the American one ran longer and has gone into different places and other places. Kevin Spacey is the lead. He is engaging and beguiling and brilliant. Um, it is kind of the West Wing for evil people. Mm. <laughs> so it's very good. If you haven't seen it, I can highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, it, it's very much given the events of last week. I thought, you know, I should watch that. 
it's it's a really good book. And the the series, the the eighties TV series, was um, based on a book of the same name, um, mm. and it was sort of a what would happen if um, counter history, post factual, whatever you call it, um, sort of imagining a conservative government after the fall of Thatcher, only five years before she did. Um, right. It was it's really interesting, a really interesting book. And a great series, and the American remake is, is brilliant. Big fan, and uh, yeah, it, 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 I got a few scenes in, I thought, I just kind of walked away from it for a little bit, um, just for various reasons. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'll go back and uh, pick it up, having been inspired by uh, the events of the last mm. week. <laughs> so, this week's film. Yes. Go on then. So this week we are carrying on with our Harry Potter marathon, I suppose, at this point. And we are diving into the 2004 release, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Turn to page 394. Little Lord Lady at 12 o'clock! So, The Prisoner of Azkaban picks up, obviously, in year three of Harry Potter's time at Hogwarts. Um, The big news is that a prisoner has escaped from Azkaban, the Wizarding Prison. Uh, This this person turns out to be Sirius Black, who appears to have some sort of vengeance or mission against Harry. And it's about how Harry and Hermione and Ron sort of deal with that. Um, There are changes afoot with new teachers, new friends, new bad guys, um, and new bits of the wizarding world. I'm going to issue a blanket spoiler warning at this point, um, because I think it's very hard to talk about some things in this film without spoiling it. So Mm. please, if you haven't seen this film, we will spoil a lot of this film for you. Um, We can't ignore doing that. So this this is a blanket for the rest of the podcast, spoiler warning. So, Sam, third in the series, your thoughts? I enjoyed this. Um, actually, uh, I enjoyed it sort of 7 out of 10-ish the first time round. Didn't make any notes, so thought I'm going to have to watch this again to be okay. prepared for the podcast. Um, and in the meantime... Between viewings, I saw a very interesting um, YouTube video from a, a cultural analyst called Nerdwriter, and he talked about how great Prisoner of Azkaban was and all the interesting things that Quorum was doing cinematographically. Cinematographically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, this this means I should go back and pay more attention. And so my second viewing it was much more enjoyable and I would I would give it a sort of eight or nine out of ten on this on the second time through. I thought there was lots that I missed and lots that was much more clever than I gave it credit for. Excellent. I think 
one one of the interesting things well this this video says lots of interesting things about Quiron, but one of the great things that he does um with camera work um is to use a moving camera use a dolly cam or a silly cam or handheld camera however you call it um and use that throughout a, a scene and i think this is why this may be one of the reasons why I didn't, didn't get involved with it the first time around. It's because he's so good that you don't really notice what's going on. Mm. Um, one of the early scenes will be in the Great Hall at Hogwarts has a constantly moving camera. And the Nerdwriter video emphasises this, emphasizes this by showing you the whole scene speeded up. And it's it's evident how much the camera is moving. But I think something like that you just don't notice if it's done well. So it's, yes. it's like really good editing. If you don't notice it, then it's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Oh, I, 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 I was. I think I'd echo almost everything you said there. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of this, and I think for me, this is the film at which the series moves towards being a more adult or at least, at least more YA um, franchise. The two films previously mm. were kind of fun kids' films. And then all of them, I enjoy both of them. But this film, I assume that the kids now are sort of 13, probably I think 13, 14, the, uh, the, the characters are. And they're moving into sort of adulthood, at least in some form. Mm. And I think that's echoed in the nature of the film, being a bit more grown up and a bit more serious and dealing with some more serious issues. Um, especially around things like the death of Harry's parents, which does feature in this in this film a lot more and it's about confronting that and dealing with elements of that and I think that that's that for me is this is where I really start liking this series a lot more what I do or enjoy mm. the first two this is when it kind of steps into being something a bit more interesting I think that's partly a product of of, of the way that the film came out and well Quran took took more time over it so it was two years after the, the previous one but Actually, that gives the characters time to grow up, and they are a year older than they. Well, the, the actors are a year older than the characters here. It's two thousand four, so you get from two thousand and two. So these are to use um, British school and make sure these are year ten students playing year nine characters. Yeah, and that it. it I, I know it's only it's only twelve months, but that. Twelve month gap is is re- I think really beneficial in enabling them to to tell more of a more of a YA story as you said more of a some something of a darker story. Yes. So I think the the other, the other thing to note is that this does this film does some work working to exploring more of the world. We do see other elements of the Wizarding World. We have our first introduction to Hogsmeade, which appears to be like a but the, lo- the local town to, to Hogwarts. We meet the um, the night bus, um, and we introduce it to the more spells. So it does feel once again that the pose. This is the, the narrative levels I like, where you've got the, it, the revelations of this world sort of petered out. They're just kind of drip fed out into the um, into us as, as the audience. Hmm. Something I notice is that well, that Hagrid's cottage is positioned more obviously more centrally but 
it felt like how do I put this in in fleshing out the world they haven't fundamentally changed things like they no. haven't they haven't moved the cottage put it in different part of the grounds they've just presented it in a slightly different way and you don't feel cheated by it you just feel like you're seeing more of the world mm. it just just feels like yeah yeah you're being you're being drip fed a bit and the the world around is just opening up a bit to you it feels like this this grows out of the first two films rather than being sort of a radical departure from it. yeah and, and that's where you get into sort of both the work done by uh, Rowling to plan a lot of this out Mm. Is that you don't tend to get these sudden retcons of previous films. Things don't suddenly change that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think well, as as you mentioned, the word change change is something we wanted to talk about, and actually, it's something that gets foregrounded very early on with the way that Quran films this, and I've already talked about the way the camera moves, but the way that the camera moves through a pane of glass repeatedly and if you and if you if it if it gets brought to mind by something like this nerd writer video then you kind of help notice all the times that the camera moves through a pane of glass but Mm. that seems to me setting up this idea of of change of transformation of things not being quite right you have in this film and that's i mean setting up for later Later parts of the story as well. This is this is about something not being quite right. This is the first time in the series where you think, actually, something is fundamentally wrong here, and there are changes taking place here which are going to have have big effect. Mm. I think you're right. I think, as I kind of mentioned earlier, this film does step up and it does change the sort of the the nature of the film into being more adult film. And I think that, as you say, that kind of that that change, that transformation is. Highlighted narratively and visually um, in the film, I think the thing that I noticed really struck me watching this back was how we see different, suppose different, different Hogwarts in different lights, shall we say? Mm. So in the previous films, whilst there has been seasons, we haven't seen it in this manner. We have, we have, we have, you know, we have the the um, Quidditch game in the pouring rain. We have Hogsmeade in the snow. We see Hogwarts at night when he's with Sirius. And we start to see these worlds in different different views. Um, and I think even at the very start when we have the night bus picking up Harry outside the Dursley's house. Previously we had the idea that these worlds were very separate. There, there was the muggle world in which Harry lived in his holidays. And then the, the magical world in which he went elsewhere. But by having this... this Men, this merging of these two worlds with with the night bus. I'm making hand gestures here. That's noise itself. Um, the merging of those worlds, mm. you start to transform and change these worlds and change our understanding of them. And you say it doesn't change the world; we just changes our understanding and our view of it. Yes, I I really I really like the way that that night bus was portrayed because in lesser hands. And and I'm saying if it had been written differently, if it didn't involve rolling and it hadn't been filmed by Quran and all sorts of other things, if they were different, then you can imagine how the thing 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 that I that struck me when I was when I was watching it was the idea of physics. And the bus behaves in a certain way, so 
in the in the world outside it can squeeze between other buses and it can zip between lanes and it can behave like a like a, a magical entity as it is but inside inside the bus the law of laws of physics still apply so the beds slide around and harry smashes up against the glass every time they stop violently so in lesser hands it feels like the whole thing would be magical and he'd mm. get on the bus and sit down and it would be it would be nice and he wouldn't be affected by any of it but there's that there's that there's this sort of disconnect between the inside and outside and you think there's there's something really clever going on here and actually that's that's to do with, to do with these these worlds coming together yeah i i i i think you're right i think also it's 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 worth talking narratively about the element of transformation and change in this in this film and i think we've got it's it, it, it like once once we start talking about change and transformation in terms of this film these the references and the moments really kind of kept kept, kept rolling and hitting me Mm. Um, and one of the, the other ones I noticed really early on, before we get into some really big stuff, was the introduction of the Boggart, which is a magical creature that basically seems to live in people's closets and then takes the form of their their worst fear. Yeah. So th- this creature, its power and its fear is its ability to change. That whoever looks at it deals it has to deal with their biggest fear. So there, the change is like a the power to the monster. But the way you beat the Boggart is to this charm, ridiculous, and to imagine it in a ridiculous sense. And so you have to change the Boggart into Snape wearing old clothes, a spider with roller skates on. So you have this this element of change there, both in, sort of in terms of the monsters and in terms of the sort of the heroes and their ability to um, control those things, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that I don't. I don't it, it was it was after that. It's when Sirius has just entered the castle, um, and you have Dumbledore and Snape discussing it when they think everyone's asleep, walking mm-hmm. around, and there's a slumber party going on in the Great Hall. Um, but you have, and something something I wrote down from from Dumbledore was, in dreams we enter a world that's entirely our own. It's that idea of of somebody creating something. That mm. you feel that Dumbledore's not just talking idly about dreams, he's talking about constructing a world world for yourself. And that's something you get with um to go very spoilertastic here, with um Harry and Hermione at the end, when he basically tells them to change the course of what's happening, he tells them to save Sirius. He tells them to fundamentally alter how the world works. So it feels like that could be it could be a tagline for this film is is entering a world that's entirely our own and changing it to mm-hmm. how you want it to be. Yeah, I think that's it's it's a very good point. I think it also it's also interesting that whilst we don't have a bad guy in uh Voldemort here for the first time in the series that the bad guy himself changes and themselves changes so initially I mean this is where it kind of it adds up and builds in in the narrative elements of change within this film is that you've got I suppose initially the bad guy of Sirius Black clearly can become a dog mm. 
Uh, you see that in the big sort of start of the third act reveal, he becomes a dog. Yeah. At which point you also discover that the kindly and supportive teacher is a werewolf. Um, so he has an element of change to him. And then it's revealed that really they aren't the bad guys, and the bad guy is Peter Pettigrew, who has been hiding as a rat for the last 12 years, and he can change into a rat and out of any rat. And so in this sort of short section, you've got revealed that A, no one is who they say they are, and nothing who they say they are. And then your audience perception, your natural reputation of who is the good and the bad guy changes. The, the big twist reveal, I suppose, is that, is, is that, you know, Sirius is a good guy, Peter's the bad guy, and the bad guy you didn't even know existed. Yeah. The bad guy you thought you had isn't a bad guy. Mm. Yeah. I suppose then I this idea of of transformation and the I suppose the 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 elephant in the room about transformation is that all the the central four characters who were friends at school were either animagi or werewolves. Mm-hmm. So you have the the wolf, the dog, the stag, and the rat. So that on on a sort of surface level, that's where the transformation occurs. But you're right. This film is is about transformation of a completely different kind, and the fact that they could change shape is entirely irrelevant. Really, the transformation that really matters is is that you think certain things are going to happen in the narrative, certain narrative threads are going to play out, and someone is going to be found out to be a bad guy, and then that is completely transformed for you. Mm. Exactly. It, it, it's the film messes with you I suppose mm. and then you have this reveal that Hermione has been using a time turner as it's called, and can go as you say can go back and change time though it is interesting that she doesn't actually change anything so was that there's this idea of them going back and changing things given that things happened early in the film like the stones coming through the window Patronus is scaring off the Dementors. It was very clear that they they that they weren't able to change time. They they were as much a slave to time and causality as anyone else. That was really interesting. There's a an exchange when you think everything has happened and they're flying off to get Sirius Black. There's an exchange between Harry and Hermione on the back of Buckwick, and Harry says something. Oh, he, he kind of. He sort of understands the situation wrong, and he turns to Hermione and says, "Do you understand?" And she says, "No." And it's it's funny because it it's just funny because it's a subverted expectation. But actually, you're right. There is there is a fundamental problem with that, and I'm not saying there's it's a problem with the film. I'm saying mm. that there is a problem in 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 Hermione's understanding because Hermione thinks that she's gone back and changed things, and part of what Harry is realising is that he didn't change anything at all. As you yes. said, he cast the Patronus. It wasn't his dad. Um, the stones are going to come through the window anyway. Also, interestingly, you don't see the executioner cut Buckbeak's head off. So even when you see the three of them in the first time round up the hill... Yes, as as a group, you you don't see the cause of that of that chopping and the sound and the squelching sound, and actually it could have been a pumpkin that he was coming into, as it was the second time round. 
So you're right. It it sort of it plays with you as an audience as well. And I think that like part of you thinking, well, they're not going to show us that because obviously this is this is this is to the family film. Mm. You know, they aren't going to show us killing a character. And I, I, I remember. I mean, I read the book first uh, rather than seeing the film first. And I remember thinking that's quite dark for a, for a for a kids book. Mm. You know, that, that that's quite quite uh, quite serious. But it, it, interesting how how they they play with that. Um, and I think that that's it's it was, as you say, there's some great work done by the cinematographer in this. In that you say you get moving through this glass, and the change, as you say, like the, the nature of a moving camera means that the, the framing is always changing. Mm. If, if, if we imagine, and, and we presume obviously on this podcast that that every decision is made with an intent. So the reason why something happens is someone's decided to do it. So you've got, no, I haven't seen the narrative video talking about, uh, I'll have to watch it at some point, that if we imagine that Kuaran has chosen a moving camera for a reason, it's because that change, that, that framing is always changing, the angle's always changing, all that kind of thing's always changing. That he's always bringing the element of change to the story yes. as we see these characters. And you do have the characters themselves kind of change. That, that, that Over the course of the film, the three main characters do start to grow up and deal with some of the more adult themes that face their lives. Yeah, you have um, fairly early on in this you have the boys messing around with the sweets that that make you that turn you into a, an, an animal for a second or whatever it is that they well, what are those sweets that they eat? Uh, I don't know offhand. It's like the the gorilla and the lion and the elephant or whatever they are. Yes, yes. You have them them messing around and then you see Harry from the back and not only has Harry just metamorphosed into a train and that's fundamentally different from all the animals and you, you're kind of a bit mm. unsettled by that but you also see him from the back and you see him framed and you see the camera moving away and you have stirring music and you think actually this means something even though it was just a group of boys messing around and being teenagers, it means something to the narrative and there's something coming. There's something. In, in that scene right at the beginning, you have the choir in the Great Hall say, singing Something Wicked This Way Comes. And that's what's happening. Something Wicked is coming all the way through the film. There is that movement all the way through the film. But anyway, we should uh, move on to recommendations. Rob, what do you have for us? So I've got two recommendations, um, both of which are based on actors from within within this film. So the first we've got is Gary Oldman plays Sirius Mac um, in this, and uh, I, I I'm a big fan of uh, Gary Oldman, and I have been ever since I saw him in the very first time I ever saw him in, which was 1994's Leon the Professional, telling the tale of a a New York assassin who takes in a 12-year-old girl um, following the death of all the family. Oldman plays Stansfield, who is a cop, a crooked cop, who is the one who did all the murdering. He is maniacal and evil and and mesmerising to watch. It is a brilliant film from Luke Breton, um, and I think that it's the film that certainly launched uh, Jean Reno and Natalie Portman in their big sort of takeover of, of um, films, and Gary Oldman is brilliant in it. My second recommendation is a bit of a stretch because it's a bit part to a bit part. But I just thought, you know what? I like this. I want to give it some love. 
So the character that plays um, Stan Shunpike, who is the uh, conductor on the night bus, is an actor called Lee Ingsby. He's an actor called Lee Ingleby. Lee Ingleby was in Spaced. He played the leader of the teenage gang who assault Tim, assault Tim in an alleyway in Camden and are taken down by the uh, the finger gun play, shall we say, of him and excuse me, and Mike. It's one of the best bits of space, and space is one of the best shows of my lifetime. So yeah, it's it it, it is a, a bit part bit part, but I, I'm a uh, I'm gonna push spaced as my uh, other recommendation for this week. I have two recommendations and one of them was based on an actor and it was the same actor. And I love Gary Oldman as well. Um, and what I've come up with is his performance in one of Rob's favourite films. is the Nolan Dark Knight. Um, okay. And he... I mean, this is... It's a film that we've discussed, although they're ne- never seriously on this, this podcast. I think we could... Uh, could be one that we could spend some time talking about, but some of the emotional depth that Oldman provides in his his portrayal in in the Dark Knight and also in in the Dark Knight Returns because he, spoiler alert, dies and then doesn't in the Dark Knight Returns. Was that the Dark Knight? What does that happen? Oh god! They all blur into into beige, don't they? Uh, <laughs> less of that. Um. Anyway, wherever he he dies and comes back to life, he's very good in this. Um, I think it might be in the first film, first Dark Knight film. Um, so Gary Oldman is my link as well. Second link is um, Alphonse Cuaron, and I talked a bit about him at the beginning. I talked about how I enjoyed this film on the second watching. And part of that is to do the way it's filmed. And I very much enjoyed his previous film to this, which is, um, in terms of cinematography, is comparable in terms of um, just about everything else. So structure, narrative, scripts, um, content, all completely different is mm-hmm. the 2001 film Ichimama Champion, which is a very explicit film about a a number of things, a love affair between two young boys and an older woman, and a road trip, and it basically sex and drugs and rock and roll, and it's certainly nothing like a Harry Potter franchise, but it's a very good film. Yes, it, it, it's a very different film, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but equally great. Oh, brilliant. Well, we will be back next week, guys, with uh, episode four of the Harry Potter uh, series, which is Harry Potter and the... Oh, God. Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Oh, it's a Trovers of that, isn't it? Goblet of Fire. <laughs> wow, that's that's my nerd cred ruined. <laughs> so we will see you all guys back here next week. Uh, till then, you can find both of us on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Please also, if you're on Twitter, go and give uh, Kaiju FM a follow. That's where we're posting all the shows from every show in our network. So please go and give that a follow if you are there. And we'll see you back here next week.
Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr!